Sunday. It's always uh, an awesome to gather together and worship God. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open up to 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we'll be. Uh, before I get started, another quick announcement. Uh, if you are a senior in high school uh, or you are the parent of a senior in high school, uh, we are going to have our Senior Sunday uh, in two weeks on May 9th. Uh, that's also Mother's Day, and we're going to have a special ceremony to recognize them. And so uh, if, you, if, if they're not involved in youth, then we, on, on Wednesday nights, Connection Students, uh, then we don't know that you're here. So if you'll stop by, Blake will be out at the Blue Tent. If you guys want to be involved in that, uh, we have a gift and, and would love to recognize you as a graduating senior. And so uh, please do that. Uh, today we're continuing on in our series uh, called Reengage. We've been talking about uh, how the pandemic has really caused a lot of people to disengage in their relationship with Christ. And so uh, the past few weeks we've been talking about what it looks like to engage or re-engage uh, in your relationship with Christ. We've talked about uh, several different things and I'm excited about this series because not only is it challenging to think about uh, re-engaging with Jesus, uh, but it also clarifies uh, our vision as a church, who we are as a church. And the Bible Proverbs talks a lot about vision. It says without vision, uh, people perish. And so as God's church, I think it's good that we know exactly who we are. Uh, as Connection Church Vidalia, I think it's important that we know uh, who we are. And that's what I want you to understand is that we as a church, Connection Church Vidalia, uh, we're, we, we're all about Jesus, right? That's something that I hope you understand about us. We want to make the name of Jesus famous. We want to partner with Jesus in any way that he's working. We want to be a church that reflects Jesus in the community. Uh, we have a mission statement at Connection Church that drives everything we do, and we are laser-focused on it. And that mission statement is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. You never have to wonder why we're doing what we're doing. Where is our money going towards? Uh, why do we have kids' ministry? Why do we do student ministry? What is our music about? What is our sermon about? Because we are, it's all about connecting you and others to a growing relationship with Christ. And at our church, we have something we call our four cultures. And what these four cultures are is kind of how we define a growing relationship with Jesus Christ from the scriptures. And so uh, these cultures are, are things like community that Bo talked about a few weeks ago, where uh, we believe real life change happens in community. We want to be a family of people uh, that, are, that, that live and exist, uh, not, isolate, not in isolation, but in community. We want to be uh, serving is another culture. Uh, we, we believe every person has a purpose, right? We want uh, to be a family of people that not just serve, but a family of servants. It's who uh, we are. Uh, evangelism. We want to reach people, man. We, we believe God sent us here to reach people far from God, to reach people that aren't in a relationship with Jesus. And because of that, we believe that saved people need to live sent, right? So if you're saved and have a relationship with God, we want you out connecting people to a growing relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. And so you'll hear us talk about connect, equip, send. What, what does that mean? And so for us, we want to connect you to God, and then we want to equip you to send out and connect other people to God. And that's kind of the, the way that we do. And then the last culture is generosity, right? We're going to talk about this one uh, today, generosity. We believe the gospel produces generous people. We want to be a church that reflects the generosity of God to our community, to each other. 
And uh, it's very important that we know who we are as a church because we believe uh, that who is, that's who God has called us uh, to be. So again, if you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Today we're going to be diving into this culture of generosity. How do we become this generous church that God has called us to be? Because Jesus is the most generous person ever to walk the face of the earth, right? So, uh, but I know what you're thinking, right? If, if you're here, maybe you had not been to church in a while, uh, you, you, a lot of people get uncomfortable when the preacher starts talking about money or generosity, right? So I want to clear the air. We've already taken up our offering. There's no more time offering times, no more buckets, right? So take a deep breath. This is less about you giving today and more about us as a church becoming a generous church, coming, becoming a church that reflects uh, Christ. And, you know, people uh, get uncomfortable, but I want you to know, and I think it's important that we all understand that uh, it's important that we talk about money in the church. It's important that we talk about generosity in the church. Why? Well, a couple of reasons. Uh, one, the Bible has a lot to say about it. You know, I don't know how much you know about the Bible, but 16 out of 29 parables that Jesus shared while he was on earth, uh, 16 out of 29, that's over half, were about a man or a woman and their relationship with money. It was about stewardship and how we deal with money in our life. Over 500 verses in the Bible on prayer and faith. Guess how many there are on money? Over 2,000. Right, So Jesus and the Bible and God has a lot to say about money. It's an important, listen, God doesn't want money from you. He wants generosity for you. Like that's the picture is God has a plan for you and your finances. And he wants to teach you about how to see God, money the way God wants you to. Secondly, money's an indicator. Right? It reveals our heart. God, and I believe this is one of the reasons Jesus talked about it so much, is it is uh, the ultimate polarizer. When we think about where our money's going, it shows us what has our heart. And, and Jesus doesn't want our money, he wants our heart. And when he has our heart, our money will indicate that he has our heart. And so today, as we speak about this generosity, will we allow it to uh, point to our heart? And then lastly, God wants to use our generosity to reveal himself through us and the Spirit's work in us to other people. Uh, I think it's important for us as believers uh, to live our lives in such a way that our generosity shows other people the generosity of Christ because I believe it's one of the ways that God grows his church and reflects himself to our world. So let's learn from the early church. Second Corinthians chapter eight, we'll start in verse one. Let me catch you up into the context of second Corinthians. And so if you know anything about the, the, the church in Corinth, it was a pretty jacked up church. Uh, Paul wrote two letters to it. Uh, a lot of issues going on, sexual immorality, division, just a lot of stuff going on in there, misuse of spiritual gifts, um, just a, a lot of things. And actually next year, we're going to dive into the book and walk through the book of First and Second Corinthians. So stay tuned for that. But today, one of the things that, that I want to talk to you about is on Paul's third missionary journey, uh, he, was, he was, one of his main priorities was an offering for the church in Jerusalem. Right, And so the church in Jerusalem had uh, really run into a time of famine. They were kind of in need. And so as, as Paul left Jerusalem and Antioch and began to circle his way around the Mediterranean Sea, uh, one of the things that he was doing was uh, allowing the other churches to participate in an offering for the church in uh, Jerusalem. 
And so we're going to see the Macedonian church and the rest of the churches really uh, were generous. But when he got to the church in Corinth, they weren't as generous as he would have liked them to be. And so what he does here is kind of uh, reminds them of the generosity of Christ and the generosity of God's church. And and so I want us to learn from it. So verse 1 says this. Paul says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Again, he's not talking about the church in Corinth. He's pointing them to the Macedonian church. This would have been the church at Philippi, the church of Thessalonica, the church of Berea, right? And so he's using them as an example uh, to spur up generosity in the Corinthians. So verse two, again, listen, How does he explain the Macedonian church? In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up to rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and then even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. Listen, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us and the mission of what we were doing. Verse six, so we urged Titus, who was kind of like Paul's uh, right-hand man, just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, he's talking to Corinth now, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Listen to him. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to what? Test the sincerity of your love by what? Comparing it with the earnestness of others. And not only does he point him to the Macedonian church, but listen to how he ends it. He points to the most generous person ever. Verse nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. So just an incredible passage. It is the most incredible, to me, the, 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 the most uh, information about generosity in the entire Bible comes uh, at Jesus' teaching as well as 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So three things I want you to see right here that I think are important. The first is I want you to see that Paul points them to the most generous person ever, who is Jesus. Secondly, he points them to the most generous church ever, uh, which is the Macedonians. And then thirdly, he kind of turns it back around and says, now I want to test you. I want to test the sincerity of your love by testing your generosity. And so that's where I'm going. So let's go. Number one, the most generous person ever. Verse nine, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Hands down, Jesus is the most generous person to ever walk the face of the earth. There is nothing in the entire world uh, that even compares to the generosity that we see from Jesus on the cross. It is transcendent. It is the most powerful act of generosity that we have ever seen. He is our example of generosity. So the church is, is meant to reflect his generosity. So as we look to him, we know the type of generosity that God wants for his church. He is our aim. Uh, he is who we are trying to reflect 
to the world and to other people in our life. This is why Paul points straight to Jesus. He wants them to know uh, that they need to compare their generosity, not to people around them, but first and foremost to Jesus. So let's think about it for a minute. How do we see the generosity of Christ? Let me stir you up just a little bit by looking at the generosity of our God. First, we see the generosity of Christ in the gospel. Right? Look at the gospel. Jesus was rich in heaven. He was rich in glory. He had everything, all the possessions, everything he needed, the fame, all of that in heaven. But he chose to sacrifice himself and became poor and came to earth. He became a suffering servant. He became a homeless nomad and he gave his life as a ransom so that you and I could become spiritually rich, so that you and I could become sons and daughters. He gave for us what we could never give for ourselves, which is salvation. It is the greatest act of generosity ever. This is generosity. Jesus didn't give a part of his life. He didn't give 10% of his blood. He gave 100% of his life. Everything he had, he poured it out for you and me. Write this down. Generosity wasn't something Jesus did. It is who he was. It is who he is now. Jesus is generosity. Have you ever thought about just how generous our God is? He's a giver, man. He's not a taker. He is a giver. This is why Jesus tells us it's more blessed to give than receive. If we feel like it's more blessed to receive things than give things, we're not thinking like Jesus. Every person of the Trinity reflects this. Let me take you through each one of them. Think about the Father. Think about the most famous verse in the entire Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave, right? You hear us say it all the time. It's the generosity of God. How did he show his love for us? He gave, right? He gave his only son, his only son. That's the most precious thing he had. The most valuable thing he had, he gave it away for the sake of others. Now that is generosity. Think about the son. What did the son do? He actually gave his life so that you and I could find life for God. So, and, and, and listen, the Bible says that nobody took his life. Right? He was God. He could have snapped and killed them all, but he didn't. He laid down his life on his own accord. Not only that, he gave us his righteousness. Think about it. He gave us his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this, He who knew no sin became sin so that in him you and I or we might become the righteousness of God. He took on our sin and gave us his righteousness. How generous is that? He, he literally took the punishment for our sin. Instead of us being punished, he said, I'll take your place. Not only that, but I will give you my righteousness so that now you can have access to God. He is a giver. Not only that, he gave us his life as a model. He didn't have to come to earth, but he came to earth and he lived 33 years to show you and I what the life of service and generosity looks like. Not only the Father and the Son, but think about the Spirit. In himself, he is the greatest gift ever given, right? He is God in you and I as believers. It is the greatest gift we could ever receive. But not only that, think about the Spirit as a giver. He gives too, man. He is a giver. Think about it. He, he gives life to dead, dry bones. He gives us security, eternal security. He seals us for, for eternity. He gives us new desires, he gives us spiritual gifts. He gives us comfort even when we're in the midst of difficult situations. 
without a doubt, our God is generosity. It's not something he does. It is who he is. We, have a, we serve a giving God, and you cannot outgive God, and the gospel shows us that. that. There's no greater picture of generosity than in the gospel. Secondly, we see the generosity of Christ in the way he treated people. I want you to think about it from a different angle. Look at his life. Luke chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. This is where Jesus opens the scroll of Isaiah when he gets on earth and he's in the temple and he's basically explaining, this is what I came to do. What did you come to do, Jesus? Well, well, let's listen. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom from the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus, what did you come to do? He says, I came to give good news to the poor. I came to give freedom to the prisoner and the oppressed. I came to give sight to the blind. I came to give health to the leper and the paralytic. And I came to give life to the spiritually dead. That's what Jesus came to do. It's important that we understand he literally gave his life away for the sake of others. And this is where we get our definition of generosity. I want you to write this down. Generosity is sacrificially giving what we have for the sake of Christ and the good of others. Generosity is sacrificially giving what we have for the sake of Christ and the good of others. And Jesus's earthly ministry screams generosity. It doesn't whisper it. Literally, his whole ministry is a ministry of generosity. If I had enough time, I would literally read every story that Jesus had where he encountered people. I would tell you about the woman caught in adultery and how generous Jesus was with her. I would, I would read the story of the 5,000 and Jesus feeding the 5,000 and how he took a little boy's lunchbox and multiplied it uh, into uh, enough to feed everybody. I'd read the invalid at the pool of Bethesda and Jesus' generosity to him. I'd show you Lazarus and how Jesus generously raised him from the dead. He didn't deserve that. The thief on the cross and how Jesus generously gave him eternal life moments before he was going to die. Jesus is generous, man. He is not something he did. It is who he is. He lived it, and we get a first front row seat in the Bible to it. Lastly, we see generosity in the way that Jesus treated you and me. This is where it gets personal. This is where we can begin to look in the mirror and see the generosity up close and personal. Verse 9, for you know the grace of of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that though he was rich, yet for whose sake? Your sake. He became poor. So that who? You, through his poverty, might become rich. Those words are, they can be applied to our life, to the Corinthian church, but also to us. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is where the gospel gets personal. This is what we just sang about when we look into the eyes of Jesus and see him laying his life down, not because he deserved to be killed, but because of mine and your sin deserved to be punished. And we come face to face with what Christ has done for us, what he sacrificed for us, what he's given us. He's given us new life, new purpose, new meaning, a freedom from sin. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. This changes everything. 
This truly begins to transform us from the inside out. Listen, generosity is something outward, but it flows from something inward. This is where God begins to produce generosity inside of us, which then begins to overflow into our entire life. This is why we say here at Connection, the gospel produces generous people. Why do we say that? Because we believe it's when we come face to face with this gospel and when we experience this gospel, we become like the gospel, right? We become like the person who came to earth and died for our sins so that you and I could have life. It's spiritually impossible for us to love God more and become a less generous person. Like it it cannot happen. Like if you'd say, man, I'm in love with Christ. I'm growing in my relationship with God. But then you look at your life and you're not becoming a more generous person. I don't know what you're measuring your growth in Christ by, but that's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives is generosity. The gospel truly changes everything. I know this personally. The gospel took a selfish, stingy, worldly person and transformed him into a generous, selfless, giving person that loves to give himself away. Not saying I don't struggle at it, but what I'm saying is, man, I love to be generous with other people because I recognize the joy that comes in my life through giving myself away instead of living for myself. This is what Jesus taught us. This is the life that reflects Jesus. It's the generous life. So not only does Paul point the Corinthians to Jesus, he also points them to the most generous church ever. And I love this passage, so let's read it together. Verse one, he says, and now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst, listen to, just listen to how he explains the Macedonian church. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy, I want you to underline this, in the midst of a very severe trial, underline severe trial, Their overflowing joy, underline overflowing joy, and their extreme poverty, underline extreme poverty, welled up in rich generosity. Now now you should see kind of some, some, some things that shouldn't go together there, right? He says they were in deep poverty and in severe trial, but somehow still their joy, they had joy, and they also were generous. This is the Christian faith. Our our generosity is not dependent on circumstances. It doesn't happen in circumstances. It flows from within a joy that never changes because our joy is in God. We'll talk about it in a minute. Verse three, for I testify that they gave us, listen, as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. What does that even mean, right? As much as they were able and then they even gave some more. Entirely on their own, listen, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. They they were begging Paul to give. Broke as a joke and literally begging Paul to give and be a part of what God was doing in Jerusalem. Now I've listened, I've worked in the church for about 12 years now and I've honestly never had somebody attack me on the stage after I announced the offering. Have you ever had that? That would be like Daniel announcing uh, what he's doing with global education. And by the time he got back to the curtain, everybody was back here talking to him, right? We, We just don't respond that way. But in Macedonia, man, they were ready to give. They were begging, hey, oh, stop the service. We're ready to give now. Let's do it. You know, this is how the Macedonian church worked. It was an incredible picture of generosity. 
entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege, privilege, think about that word, of sharing in the service of the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. Paul said, I was blown away. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So your first thought reading this is like, wow, like what in the world is going on in the Macedonian church? I mean, they're not a financially wealthy church in an easy situation, right? Don't think about a church in America. Think about a church in the slums of India. And you show up and you're taking up an offering for some kids uh, somewhere. You're taking up an offering for the mission of God somewhere else. And they're like, hey, we don't have much, but what we have, here it is. Right? This is a different way of thinking. It says they were in the midst of a severe trial. You got to get this. It literally in the Greek means being crushed by life itself. They were in the midst of a trial that literally was like being crushed by life itself. Because of their faith, most commentators say the Macedonian believers were getting pressured and squeezed from society. They were losing their jobs. They were being kicked out of the trading guilds, which is where they would go uh, to make money and do business. They were being shunned because of their faith in Christ. Not only that, they were in the midst of deep poverty. This word literally means the bottom of the ocean. Like I'm talking rock bottom poor. I'm talking dirt poor, desperately poor. The worst you can think about is what Paul used to explain the Macedonian church. How in the world were they joyful on one hand, but then also welling up in rich generosity? Well, I'll tell you, it's because they had experienced the gospel. It's because their joy didn't come from their circumstances. Their joy was in Christ, who never changes, who's at work in the good and the bad. God's grace had exploded into their life, and that's exactly what generosity indicates. Write this down. Generosity is an outward sign of God's grace at work inside of our hearts. I'll say it again. Generosity is an outward sign or evidence of God's grace at work inside of our hearts. You'll notice Paul says the grace of giving. That's what he's talking about. When grace is at work within us, it produces generosity in our life. Generosity is a proof mark that God has graciously graciously been working inside of a person's heart. And here Paul really gives us an example of what that looks like with some characteristics, thankfully. And so he gives us characteristics of the most generous church ever. And I want you to write them down. The, the first one is he says their generosity was cheerful. If you bounce over to 2 Corinthians 9, he says they gave cheerfully. He says their generosity went above and beyond. And then thirdly, he said their generosity indicated that God was first in their life. So let's talk about each of those. The first is their generosity was cheerful. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. God loves a cheerful giver. Listen to what he says. Each of you, he's actually encouraging the Corinthian church now, but I'm sure he's thinking about uh, the, the Macedonian church. He says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. Right? What does this tell us? That God's much more worried about the heart condition that's giving than he is the actual gift. Right? He cares about the gift, but the first thing is he wants the attitude of the heart. And this is what the gospel does is changes the attitude of the heart. Right? And so we have to understand that we need to be cheerful givers the same way the Macedonians are. Listen, this cheerful is, means that it overflowed from joy in the Lord. 
Like it, Paul says it welled up in them. It, it wasn't reluctant. It, it wasn't under compulsion or begrudging. Like that, that it wasn't a del- it was a delight. It wasn't like a duty or a rule that they followed. They wanted to give. It, it was voluntary. They were, they were begging to give. Think about this situation. I mean, Paul saw their situation and literally wasn't even going to ask them to give. Literally, it says on their own accord, they came to him begging. He wasn't even going to ask them. He's like, bro, y'all are going through enough. The last thing y'all need to do is give your money away because it seems like you guys are broke and need what you have to do what you're trying to do. And they were like, hold up, dude. How are you going to keep an opportunity to be a blessing to somebody else away from us. They almost took offense at it and, and they came to him and were begging to ask him to give. For them, their offering wasn't a problem to be avoided. It was a privilege to be desired. Write this down. Giving isn't a problem to be avoided. It is a privilege to be desired. That's how God wants us to think about generosity and giving. This is why Andy Stanley uh, tells us that, that, that giving is an opportunity to sacrifice and show the heart of God. Listen to his quote. Giving up something now for something better later is not a sacrifice. It's an investment. Think about it. Giving up something now for something better later in eternity is not a sacrifice. Like, like that's an investment. That's like a pay it forward type thing. That's what he says. This is what I love about the Macedonians. Their generosity wasn't circumstantial. It was consistent with the unchanging heart of God. It wasn't, it wasn't tied to their circumstances. It, it was rooted in the joy that they had in Christ. It really didn't matter what they were going through or even how much money that they had because normally severe trials and deep poverty would lead to a scarcity mindset. I mean, think about it. I'm not talking to, to people that don't understand this. When, when you get crunched for money, the last thing you want to do is give it away. We tighten our hands, right? Well, I, I can't do it. We start making excuses, right? It usually causes us to tighten our fist on our money. It usually leads us to make excuses. Oh, I can't really help this time, Paul. Hey, I got too much going on. Hey, Paul, I just bought this, or hey, we just built this, or it doesn't really fit in my budget right now. I'm trying to get out of uh, the debt that I'm in. It doesn't really fit, Paul. That's not the Macedonian. Circumstances didn't stop them from being generous because their generosity wasn't rooted in their external circumstances. Their generosity was rooted in the heart of Christ. It was the Holy Spirit in them that was welling up to generosity. Last, uh, second thing I want you to see is that their generosity went above and beyond. Not only was it cheerful, and they gave cheerfully and richly in all circumstances, but literally uh, it, they went above and beyond. Verse three, for I testify that they gave us as much as they were able and then even beyond their ability. Wow. Uh, what does that even mean? What does it mean that they gave as much as they were able? And then what does it mean that they gave even beyond that? Well, I can tell you this, Paul's not talking about tithing right here, right? So he, he's, in the New Testament, tithing, 10, giving 10% of your income uh, to the church is really the floor of generosity. 
You know, we, we kind of make it a big deal and, and think it's a huge sacrifice because we, our view of money is a little bit wrong, but really tithing is an Old Testament principle, right? So tithing is this idea that we give 10% uh, to the temple or to the church. And, but in the New Testament, everything that happened in the law, Jesus like raised the standard, right? So what do I mean? Uh, Jesus said, hey, in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder, all right? You get to the, to the New Testament, what does Jesus say? Well, if you've been angry in your mind against a brother or sister, you've committed murder, right? Uh, Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. New Testament, Jesus comes along, raises the bar. What does he say? If you've lusted in your mind after a woman, you've already committed adultery, right? So New Testament stuff, you can't really play the card. It's, it's, it's raised up. So why do I say the tithe is the floor in the New Testament church? Because I believe that's what the Bible teaches, right? And so we don't need to have this huge elevated view of tithing. I think it's important as a principle, but man, generosity is over and beyond. That's what Paul's talking about here is he says, man, that they were giving sacrificially, uh, he's talking about going above and beyond. I think we can learn a few things from the Macedonian church. One, they gave in proportion to what they had, right? That's what he means when he says uh, that, that they gave as much as they were able. Uh, this is kind of the idea of tithing, meaning that they had a set amount that they had sat down with their budget and decided, hey, this is the amount that we are going to give to the church. I, I would encourage you guys to do the same, right? Just sit down and pray, ask God, what is it that God's putting in your heart? What kind of percentage that you wanna give to the church? But it, that's not all he was talking about, right? Listen to Luke 21, one through four, and I wanna explain just one of the greatest stories in the Bible when it comes to giving. This is the widow's offering. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. So, so just imagine this. Jesus is in the temple. He's watching people come up and give their offering to the temple. And you got all these wealthy people walking up that have so much money. They're writing their checks and they're way more than what this widow would have put in. But they're writing them. It doesn't really cost them anything. It's not really sacrificial. They're putting it in. The number's high. But Jesus isn't moved by that. He's moved by this little widow that's walking up. I like to think of her with a walker. And she comes all the way down to the front. And she drops in her two coins. And Jesus says, that's generosity. She's given everything that she had. And that's what Jesus is talking about. When we give in proportion to our faith, when we give sacrificially, it, it, it needs to cost us something. You remember the story in the Old Testament where David uh, is getting ready to build the temple and he goes and uh, he, I think it might've been Solomon or David. I don't know, I'd have to look. But he, he goes back and he's, he, the guy's offering him the land for free. And he says, hey, uh, I, I, I would take your land, but I don't want to offer something to the Lord that didn't cost me anything. And so God wants our generosity to cost us something. There's something that moves the heart of God about us sacrificing for the good of generosity. It wasn't about the amount 
The rich people were giving more numerically. It was about the sacrifice that was pleasing to God. The second thing we see with them is that they sometimes gave beyond proportion, right? Let's talk about this. This is what they were doing here. The spirit was moving their hearts uh, to go above and beyond for the church in Jerusalem. This is kind of like our 1-8 project. If you've been here, you know our 1-8 project is where we gave above and beyond our tithes and offerings uh, to, to plant a church in Athens, to buy some land and build a building here, right? That's not our first fruits tithe to God. That's above and beyond that we're giving, right? That's saying, man, the Lord has moved on us as a church uh, to, to, to take our next step and buy land and build a building and plant a church in Athens. And we feel the Lord stirring us up to be a part of that. And you're giving above and beyond. It's a sacrificial gift above and beyond kind of what you, what, what, what you normally uh, give. This is when you move into the realm of sacrifice, faith, and trusting God to provide. This is when God gives you something. He moves on your heart, man, to help that person. And you're like, God, looking at my account, I don't know if I have it. Like, I just, it's been tough. I don't know if I can do this this week. You start making excuses, but you know God stirred you up. And so you do it. And Kate, Kate and I have done this and wrestled through this a lot, right? God stirs one of us to give to somebody. And I'm like, Kate, man, we don't, I don't know that we have it. Uh, she's like, well, I really feel like God's wanting us to do it. And I'm like, all right, I'll go pray about it. I feel the same. We go give. And then something happens. You know, I can honestly tell you, I've never regretted doing it because it's always a miracle that God somehow returns what we were, were, were giving away. Most of the time, he gives us back what we gave. It was, it was not about the amount that we gave. It was about trusting God as our provider that even if we didn't see a way out, but we knew God was asking us to live, uh, to give, we're gonna step out into faith and say, God, I trust you as our provider and I'm gonna give where you tell me to give because I trust you're gonna provide for us as our provider. That's what it means to go above and beyond. This is what the Macedonian church was doing so well, but it wasn't just them. Listen, Acts 2, 44 through 45, listen to the early church. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. This wasn't just one of them. This was a radical, generous church. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Well, that's normal, right? Selling your land and selling your car to provide for the need of someone, right? That happens all the time. This is what the early church was doing. Listen, go on to Acts 4, two chapters later. All the believers were one, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possession was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there, there were no needy persons among them. Again, you see God's grace being the, the motivation for, for generosity. For listen, for from time to time, those who owned land or houses, no biggie, sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to those who had need. Listen, if I asked y'all, listen, just think about it. I come up here and I'm like, all right, we got a need in the church. God has told me that somebody's supposed to sell their house to meet this need. Y'all would honestly be ready to shoot me or slap me, right? If I came to you and had that conversation one-on-one, hey, God told me that you were supposed to sell your house and meet the need of this person that you may or may not know but they're a part of the church and God told me that you're supposed to help them. This was going on in the early church. 
Like this isn't just a story. Like God had moved on their hearts so much and they loved each other so much that when somebody among them was in need, they were sacrificing big time to meet the need of people in their midst. It was a family. It was an incredible, generous family. These guys were willing to sacrifice their own wealth and gain for the good of other people. This is above and beyond generosity. This is sacrificial, see a need, meet a need type generosity. This is what the Macedonian church were modeling for us. See, their generosity indicated that God was first in their lives. Not only was it cheerful, not only was it above and beyond, but it indicated, it was an indicator of who was first in their lives. Listen, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. Their generosity pointed to who was first in their lives. Because Christ was first in their lives, he was first in their finances. Because Christ was first in their life, he was first in their finances. This is why I believe Jesus talked about money so much because it's so easy to be deceived in our hearts. It's so easy to be, be deceived in who actually has our hearts because we can begin to go through the religious motions especially where we live. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but my life really doesn't look like it. But yeah, I'm a Christian. My mom's a Christian. I go to church. I do this, I do this. But Jesus would say, well, what does your money tell me? What does your generosity show? Does your generosity show that Christ is first in your life or does it show that something else has first place in your life? Because the money don't lie is essentially what Jesus is saying. Write this down. Money is one of the best indicators of what's first in our hearts. Jesus saw it as an indicator of what's first in our heart. Nothing shows us what has our hearts more than what has our money. Matthew chapter six, verse 21, Jesus tells us, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your money goes is an indicator of where your heart is going. Follow your money and you'll find your heart. It's as simple as this. If God has your heart, then he'll, has our, he'll have your wallet. If God has our heart, then God will have our bank accounts. If God has our heart, then you don't mind this sermon, right? So many people get mad when a preacher preaches about sermon. Well, it's probably because the Lord's convicting you about the way you steward your finances, right? But if we have the heart of Christ and we realize that God talked about money, Jesus talked about money more than anything else, we, we welcome it in our lives because we want to grow into who God's called us to be. If God has all of you, then he'll have every area of your life, including your finances. And this is what the generosity of the Macedonians indicated. It indicated who had their hearts and Jesus had their hearts. So let me, as I end, kind of turn this thing back around on us. The third question, the third point is this, where are we? So I've held you up in light of, of Christ. This is the generosity of our God. This is who he is, not just something he does. This is the generosity of the Macedonian church, the most generous church ever in the Bible. This is what they looked like. This is what they were doing. So now, where does that leave us as a church? Where does that leave us as individuals? I think Paul's advice for the Corinthians would be the same advice for us. He would want, us to te he would want to test us. He would want to ask us the question, are you excelling in the grace of giving? So let me ask us a few questions. Number one, this. Are we excelling in the grace of giving? Are we excelling in the grace of giving? Listen to me, a generous church is made up 
of generous individuals. It's a team effort, right? It's not about one person. It's about collectively, are we a generous church? Are we excelling? Are you a generous person, right? It, not is it just something that you do, but is it who you are? Are you growing to be more and more like Christ? Are you a cheerful giver? Is giving a, a duty, D-U-T-Y, is it a rule that you follow or is it a delight? Are you, are you asking God how you can leverage your resources to be a part of what he's doing? Are you a sacrificial giver? Uh, do, you, do you sit down and look at your budget and say, man, I, we want to sacrificially give this year and this is what we want to give and then be disciplined enough to do it? Or do you just tip God? Is it, hey, man, here's the offering bucket. I just want to put a little bit in it. Or, hey, here's an opportunity I want to give here. God wants us to be sacrificial givers. The second question, would we fit in with the Macedonian church? Would we fit in or would we stick out like a sore thumb? Are we welling up in rich generosity because of the grace that God has in our lives? Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, are we known for making excuses or are we known for following the heart of God into generosity? Are we over and beyond givers? Are we just giving what we're able? Or are we looking for opportunities uh, to be involved over and beyond? Are we asking for those? Thirdly, do we pass the test? Paul says, I want to test the sincerity of your love. So let me ask you pretty straightforward. What does your generosity reveal about your love for God? What does your generosity reveal about your love for God? I want you to think about it like this. If generosity is God's measuring stick for your love for him, how much do you love him? How much do you love him? Are you a good steward of what God has entrusted to you? Listen, this is what God has for us, right? Are you a good steward of what he's entrusted? Think about it like this. If you were God, would you trust you with your money? Right, think about it. God has given us everything we have. He owns it all. He's entrusted to us the money that we have to steward in a way that glorifies him. So ask yourself this question. If you were God, would you trust you with your money? Can God trust you with his money? I get this all the time. Billy, if I had more money, then I would be generous. Well, let me be straight honest. No, you would not. The Bible teaches this clearly. If you aren't faithful with what you have now, then you won't be faithful with what you have later. Listen to this quote from John D. Rockefeller. This guy has more money than any of us, billionaire. One of the wealthiest families in the entire world. He says this, if I wasn't able to tithe my first check that was only $150, I would have never been able to tithe my first million dollar check. If you're not faithful with what you have now, you won't be faithful later. Don't wait for tomorrow. God's asking you to be faithful today. So what does the generosity test reveal in your life? Do you give in such a way that reflects the heart of Jesus? This is what it's about. This is what God wants to do. Listen, we're not a church that just does generosity. We are a church that models generosity. We are a church that God wants to reflect his heart for generosity. This is who God's called us to be. So as I close, I just want you to think, I just want to give you some, some, some situations and some circumstances. I believe every person in this room has a next step when it comes to generosity. Every one of us, including me. 
And, and I've got these from next steps that God's asked me to take in our past. For some of us, I believe our next step is educating ourselves. I believe it's educating ourselves. How do we begin to take steps to honor God with what he's entrusted to us? And listen, we wanna help you. We're not a church that wants you to give all your money to us and not teach you how to steward what God's entrusted. That's not us. Listen, we wanna partner with you to grow in your relationship with God. One of the ways you grow is to know how to steward what God's given you. This is what our faith and finance class is all about that Bo just announced. Listen, we're starting up uh, May 2nd, 9 a.m. right here at STC. If you need to be educated, if you wanna take some next steps to learn what it looks like to honor God with your money, be there, sign up online, ccvidalia.com forward slash finance. We'd love to help you in that way. For some of us, our next steps to start giving. Listen, you gotta start somewhere. It doesn't get easier. You don't have to take a thousand steps. You just got to take the next one, right? You don't have to start with 10%. Just start somewhere. God, I'm drawing a line in the sand. Because of what you've done for me, I'm going to be a generous person. I'm going to look for opportunities to give to your work in the world. Just give, just start somewhere. Thirdly, for some of us, it's time to meet the need that's right in front of us. Listen, there's needs all around us. Listen, Daniel just showed us 60 kids that they're trying to reach for Jesus, that they need people to step in and help with. For some of us, it doesn't even have to be them. It can be somebody in your life. You know it. God's been continually putting a need in front of you to help somebody that's going through a difficult time. You say, Billy, I just don't have it. It's time for you to step out into the realm of faith and actually trust that God is your provider. Release the control and step into the generosity that God's called you to step into. I promise you, you will not regret it and God will take care of you. Meet the need. And then lastly, for some of us, it's salvation. It's salvation. Listen, if there's anything that money does, it, it, it literally puts us on one side of the fence. It says either you love God and you've experienced the gospel or you don't love God and you haven't experienced the gospel. Well, here's, here, here's what I would tell you today. God loves you. And God's been so generous with you. He's been so generous with me. So generous that he sent his only son to take the punishment that you deserved for your sin so that you and I could walk away free so that you and I could be reconciled back to a relationship with him. So you and I could find the life that we were created to live. It's the most generous act ever. And for some of us, our next step is to accept that, to believe, to repent, to turn from our sin, quit living for ourselves, quit trying to do things our way and begin to trust God. Trust that he's good, trust that he loves you, trust that he wants to lead you to abundant life. And today's the day that God's asking you to do that. So right where you are, I want you to bow your head. If you're in this room and you say, Billy, that's me. Dude, I wanna give my life to Jesus. I wanna repent and believe. I wanna turn, I wanna live for God. I'm tired of living for myself. We wanna pray with you. We got a team of people that would love to pray with you, help you, give you some resources to help. If that's you, would you lift your hand high? Just say, Billy, that's me. No doubt about it. God's moving on my heart. That's me. Raise it high, I wanna see it. You say, Billy, that's me. Amen. So for the rest of us, God, this is my prayer. Lord, we know who you've called us to be. God, your, your gospel is clear. Your word is clear. God, you've called us to be a generous church. 
God, would you move in the hearts of your people today? God, not to just give, but to live a life of generosity. God, would you help us reflect you everywhere we go so that when people see us, they see a picture of you. Father, we love you. We praise you. We give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll stand to your feet, we're going to sing one more song.